Well, greetings, friends, and welcome to the Gospel Underground Podcast. This is episode 108, Critical Comeuppance. That's a weird word, Jesse. Comeuppance. We are broadcasting live live for us from the Worldwide Headquarters here in Blacksburg, Virginia. I'm happy. Our last recording, I think, was about three weeks ago, Jesse, where we were uncertain whether or not you'd be able to periodically join me on the podcast. Here I am. <laughs> With your sabbatical. You're on a sabbatical from your duties as a pastor and as the director of the Bonhoeffer House. Apparently doing leisurely activities like podcasting and playing a round of golf today. So sounds very sabbatically to me. That's right. Yeah, man. I'm I'm doing what I want. Yeah, that's right. And I want to be here on the gospel that's underground. Right. And then I want to be there playing golf this afternoon. A little a little uh leisurely intellectual banter this morning. A little time in nature and uh in the grass. Chasing. This sabbatical has been amazing. Wow. I don't know anything about sabbaticals personally. <laughs> I know secondarily about them. Um, it's weird. I know they're recommended and good, and people uh, think that rest for you know yeah. ac- academicians, pastors, people, servers is a, is a gracious thing for you guys who serve others and bear burdens often. And so I'm glad you're doing it. I, I, do, I mean, not as glad as I am. <laughs> that's right. That's right. That's right. Yeah, we um, man, we've been. We've been all over the place. We've been traveling. We went and saw the wild horses, the wild ponies, the Grayson Highlands. Wow. So if you live in, you know, the Blue Ridge Mountains, Grayson Highlands are amazing. It's like a um like an alpine uh terrosphere. Like it's just a whole different world. With uh, with horses on it. With wild ponies. Wow. Yeah. It's I, cool. I grew up on Virginia Beach, so I think of like Chincoteague or something. Yeah. Like, like the ponies and stuff. But it's, yeah, it's kinda like that. Kind of like that, but not in, but a in river, the river, but in the mountains. Yeah, yeah. And then we've uh I grew a mustache, so that's a big thing for me. <laughs> yeah, those, uh, those watching, watching the tens of you who watch the video, or the hundreds on social media, ooh, I'll have to do a mustache yeah. clip to see Jesse's mu- mustache. <laughs> there you go. Going, I've been doing a lot of fly fishing. It's been great. Wow. It's been great. Wow. And, uh, and lot, catching a lot of tiny little brook trout. Yeah? Yeah, mountain streams out here in the Blue Ridge. Aspiring to book reading? You say book reading? Yeah. Aren't you aspiring to read books? I'm aspiring to read books. I've read one. <laughs> I'm just messing He's with giving me a hard time. I'm, I'm, yeah. yeah. You're giving me a hard time because I mentioned that I had all these books I wanted to read and I've just been like sleeping in in the mornings hey. and going on walks and not really reading much. Yeah. I'm messing with you, but I consider that a good thing. And I'm sure the books will uh, visit you in yeah, their, in I'll, their I'll time. Yeah, I'll get caught up. <laughs> well, hey guys, thanks for joining us again. We are in this series on uh, kind of based off the book Science and the Good, looking at the nature and necessity of morality, right, for human beings. How do we ground or what is the basis for saying something's good or evil? That we, Do we have an obligation uh, to do the good and shun evil, like the moral demands of moral duties that we feel? Is that real or is that just made up? And we've been looking at history a bit and why that matters, right? That the experience today is kind of a downstream or an aftermath of kind of a secular move to remove the idea that morality is in any way related to God. And so secular ethics, secular morality, views of justice, kicking God out in search of scientific or grounding of ethics in kind of reason or empirical study in science And how that quest is gone, obviously the subtitle of the book is The Tragic Quest for the Scientific Foundations of Morality, in the sense that most would argue 
grounding objective uh, moral values in science or in ourselves has been a failure uh, in Western culture. Things that were shifted, we looked at last time, like uh, David Hume's sentimentalism, which we start looking at our own feelings. We study those to find out what's good and bad rather than, hey, what is what is good outside of ourselves? And then things like utilitarianism, that, hey, if anything or action results in pleasure, hey, that that's good. If it results in pain, well, that's what we call bad. And then we try to learn from that to maximize pleasure and minimize pain. A good goal uh, in itself, but um, is that the way that we actually know uh, what is good mm. or right and true? Because some some good things could be painful, uh, at least in our experience uh, in human wisdom over time, that has been the case. So, Jesse... Here's where we're going. And I wanted to remind you guys, listeners, this has been a pretty popular series for us so far, uh, but I want to remind us where we're going, right? That, that hey, that this idea of good and evil or justice and injustice, these kinds of ideas will not leave us as human beings. Obviously, we're Christians. We believe this is built in. Part of being created in the image of God is to understand that human beings have a certain moral duty, right? And what best explains those moral values and duties we're going to talk about. So this intuition, right, of what is good or that there is a good can be an important guide to us. In fact, we're going to go into that in this series later on about, hey, how do we explain this reality of the good or morality and how these moral feelings, intuitions that everybody has, this idea of moral knowledge can actually be helpful in talking to our friends about God. Uh, talking to our friends about Jesus. I know my my daughter, Kayla College, she's had great success talking to people of other faiths or no faiths about God through this moral intuition. So we're going to talk about that. So get very practical towards the end. But today, Jesse, uh, we're looking at some near-term history. Uh, what was the result of the failure of enlightenment morality or grounding morality with no reference to God whatsoever? And I've entitled this episode Critical uh, Comeuppance. Um, now the word uh, comeuppance, I actually never use. You use that word all the time. <laughs> actually, you're, you're, you know, he, you're always saying that to me. Yeah, you know, you're going to yeah. get your come up, comeuppance. Yeah, Jesse. your comeuppance for that fly fishing. <laughs> uh, you should be weightlifting, Jesse. You're just be fly fishing. No, I don't use this term at all. But I don't know. I was scribbling ideas and outlines for this series, and and I came up with this title, critical comeuppance. Uh, and I so I figured I would define the word. Um, my son Tommy's fourteen. Listens to the podcast every every episode, and he appreciates when we give little definitions here and there. So the word "comeuppance" means a deserved rebuke or penalty. So you're kind of getting what you deserve, right? Mm. Um, Webster's Dictionary uses it in a sentence this way: One of these days, he'll get his comeuppance for treating people so arrogantly, right? Uh, or also Webster's continues as with any Mac action movies, this one ends with a wild chase and over the top fight sequence in which the bad guys finally get their come up in. So we're using this term today, Jesse, to say historical movements, disconnecting the idea of uh, good and bad from God or justice or judgment has consequences, right? And we are living in those today, and that's going to be our focus. So this is a quote, Jesse, from a book called The Madness of Crowds by a British man named Douglas Murray. Um, and in the introduction, we're going to read a few things out of his introduction to that book today, because I think it gets at uh, what we're experiencing. 
He said this, the explanations for our existence that used to be provided by religions fell away first, falling away from the 19th century onwards. Then over the last century, the 20th century, the secular hopes held out by all political ideologies began to follow in religion's wake. So the failure maybe of certain secular ideologies in the 20th century, communism, ideological Marxism, these type of things. In the latter part of the 20th century, we entered a what some call a postmodern era, defined by its suspicion towards all grand narratives, grand stories that repl- uh, explain reality, give meaning to life, and that kind of thing. Um, used to be from religion, Western politics, failure, failure, failure. However, as all school children learn, nature abhors a vacuum. And into the postmodern vacuum, new ideas begin to creep with the intention of providing explanations and meaning of their own. In other words, Jesse, uh, human beings are not beliefless creatures, and so we love meaning and explaining reality. And if someone believes there is no no religion, uh, all the political ideologies are BS, then what happens, right? Why did the 20th century leave us as Western civilization there. Well, great wars happened and the First World War, another one with nuclear weapons, cold wars, beliefs about life's meaning and morality. What if we don't have that anymore? Uh, it was a bit of a mistake to think that we could believe in nothingness and have nothing come in to replace it. And so what happened in the 20th century, and we won't get into too many details here, guys, with things like existentialism, right? Um, French uh, public intellectuals like Jean-Paul Sartre. We're going to talk some French, <laughs> some, some Frenchy names to, together. Michel Foucault. Michel Foucault. Jacques, Jacques Derrida. Um, did you know I actually took some French? I can do it a little bit. You know, I earned it in college, you know what I'm saying? But yeah, Oh, so you took French in college. Yeah, oh, yeah, I took oh, French. Some bona fides. Three semesters of French in college. Wow. I could be completely lost if I went to France and kind of hear echoes of words and meanings. But existentialism. Okay, if, if we believe that life has no ultimate meaning, no value, what are our options? Well, we can just despair, right? Oh, this life is worthless and meaningless. Or we can do stuff or we can think I'm brave and I do brave stuff that gives myself meaning. Right. So, uh, existentialism, Jesse, how, how would you, if you were to make a run at it, how would you define it? You know, that's, it's, it's notoriously hard to define existentialism. Amorphous. Yeah. Um, uh, as a matter of fact, there are, there are books, uh, written about existentialism that refuse to define it. That's right. Um, uh, but really it's, uh, as a matter of fact, you know what you're cued me up. I, I forgot I had this ready. Um, I've got this. I recommend this if you're interested in existential existentialism. This is not reviewish, right? Right. It's not a review. We're it's not, not that. It's not, not a review. We're not that. Hey, into this it. might so be reviewish. Right unexpected. Unexpected. Hey, this is an unexpected reviewish. I'm on sabbatical, so I don't plan things. That's I just right. do them. That's right. right. Yes. So, and this one involves a book. Uh, that's right. So this is a book called At the Existentialist Cafe. Freedom, Being, and Apricot Cocktails, or Apricot if you're into that, uh, by Sarah Bakewell. She's not a philosopher, but she's a journalist, and, and it's really kind of part biography of the key players in existentialism, and then part, um, you know, what are, the, what are the thoughts? And so uh, she would say existentialists concern themselves with individual concrete human existence. Um, you have things about freedom, responsibility, anxiety, situation. 
uh, that existentialism is a kind of lived-in philosophy, that yeah. it's, it's not so much concerned with um, a, objective truths as much as existence, That's existentialism. Right. That's right. So, you know, founding Christian, really founding yeah. father is, is Soren Kierkegaard, Kierkegaard yeah. who, uh, who would say, you know, uh, he wouldn't say life has no meaning or value, but that... Um, that meaning and value is found in the courage to act. That's right. Right. That's that, right. And that really the, the flip side of that is the sickness unto death is anxiety about existence. That's uh, right. That's right. We're here. So if, if right now we don't believe this personally, right? This, this is all downstream. If you believe that meaning, morality, goodness, all these things, truth are disconnected from God, or maybe you come to the conclusion God does not exist, then what are you left with, right? Exactly. So this, these are people in Western civilization, post-Nietzsche, right? God is dead, picking up the pieces. So if life has no ultimate meaning and value, and I think it's very honest, if there's no God, it's like we're flown into an infinite nothing. Well, we might as well make the most of it. Right, and, right? and, and instead, of, instead of receiving... Yeah, tradition and meaning passed down. Now we now we express we express yeah. and we and we question and we yeah maybe deconstruct. Maybe you like apricot cocktails. Maybe you like smoking barbecue meat. Maybe you like NFL football teams. Maybe you like existentialist philosophy books. And virtue is not located in uh right. in, in connect in connecting into what is objectively true and good and beautiful. It's yeah. found in having the courage to to express to, to be yeah. authentic. And to yourself, free to right. yourself, to yeah. correspond, not to something outside yourself, just to co- correspond to yeah. some fantastic or phantasmal idea of the true you, right. whatever it is. Right. We see vestiges of this uh, in middle school. Life has, <laughs> if life has no ultimate universal purpose, right? You might as well give your life some local purpose, right? Some maybe it's hey, let's get high in yeah. party. Others make lots of money. Others maybe hey, I want to take power, right? I want to be in charge of everybody. I, none of this morality stuff applies to me. Maybe I'll be president. Um, others, it's maybe helping others, right? This is not objectively good or bad. It's just maybe good for you or your truth. You live your truth, right? We see this all the time, and so we're taking a detour a bit out of the book Science and the Good, because they go from like the enlightenment and the failure of modernism directly into kind of a contemporary synthesis of biology, neuroscience, we'll talk about next time, of people trying to make sense of what do we mean by good then if there is no good. Um, so, But today we're talking about what happened after the enlightenment. So existentialism, well, that's, I don't want to kill myself, so I might as well go make money or or have a good time or or, or go to the hokey football game, whatever it might be. Um, but that wasn't the only move in the late 20th century or the second half of the 20th century. There was also a deconstructionist move or a critical move. Now, I know the word critical or critical theory gets thrown around a lot in Twitter wars and Twitter beefs, and we're not getting into that today. I'm not going to say certain uh, word combinations on this, but deconstruction and critical theory was a, a further step back. Okay, so if this whole project of what is good and what is scientific and what is rational, right, modernism, apart from God, mind you, if that is a failure, what is it, right? So others would say, well, all of life is kind of a text. You have to read it. What are we creating as a culture? And so we start studying human things and looking at human beings and why they're doing it. And so you take this kind of idea of suspicion. Okay, is all this talk about uh, morality, is it simply 
a self-interested power grab. Maybe, maybe you're doing this for your race or for your country or for your religion or whatever. So the goal then is to deconstruct or tear down the systems to get at real motives, right? That you just want power and money, perhaps. And, and any idea of good or bad is like not the conversation. It's more like what... It's suspicious. Why are you doing that? Why are they doing that? Are they just doing it for their own uh, benefit? Um, and, and that in itself isn't necessarily a, a bad thing, right? Because people do have uh, duplicity yeah. and motive. People are self-interest. People, we believe, are sinful. So you start looking at things behind the things. Now, Jacques Derrida and Michel Foucault, we talk about these uh, deconstructionist people. We won't get into their philosophy too, too much other than to say a thinker like Foucault started caring a lot. And this comes from Nietzsche. Nietzsche wrote a book called The Genealogy of Morals, where he kind of deconstructs morality. He also wrote a book called Beyond Good and Evil. I don't know what that means, but uh, we got to get beyond. Is that better than good and evil? G.K. Chesterton commented on Nietzsche's not a brave thinker. He has to resort to metaphors to say beyond good and evil because he doesn't have the courage to say more good than good and evil or better. Right. But but Nietzsche wrote a book called The Genealogy of Morals. Or if you look at where do morals come from, right? Uh, that it's for the sheep or the herd. And so Foucault took up this, takes up this idea of genealogy or and even archaeology to describe kind of some of his project. We have to go back through the historical buildings of things and culture and people and even to dig them up and get behind them to see what is the power involved, what is really going on here. And so our assumptions about good, evil, justice is just kind of a postured game that we have to get past and get behind because there's real no objective, good or bad, and these are just people playing games. And so obviously he didn't want to play any of those games. And he did all kind of experiences with his own life and you know, sexuality, you were reading some stuff. Yeah, he, um, it wasn't just him. I think uh, Sartre and, and Derrida and a group of um, French intellectuals in the, in the deconstructionist existentialist um, camp, uh, you can look this up. In 1977, they, they petitioned the French parliament to, uh, to change the law that, was, that outlawed uh, sex with minors. Consensual. I'm putting quotes in. Consensual. Uh, because, and they were being true to their, to their ideology, to their, to their ideology, which, so this isn't just a non sequitur, yeah, you know, that, right. that like, Oh, if you take away uh, objective morality, you do whatever you want, you do whatever you want. No, this is yeah. like, this actually happened where, uh, and it wasn't just in theory, Hey, this is wrong. It was practiced yeah. by some of these folks where it's like, Hey, this is liberation from the tradition that we've received that, oppressive. That, that oppresses yeah. uh, people who are attracted to minors or minors who want to have sex with adults. Um, and, and therefore, we should, we should say if it's consensual, it shouldn't matter because that's liberation, that's freedom, that's authenticity, that's right, self-determination. That's right. And, uh, of course, we would say that's, that's evil. Yeah, that's right. It really um, reminds me of a quote. I, I've been able, unable to source it authentically authentically um i've seen it uh represented for a guy named lord shawcross i don't know if he actually said this or not but it's a good quote it says the so-called new morality is too often the old immorality condoned mm. right and 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 i would even say too in in western civilization our culture jesse i i would say that morality is kind of like a there's been this core that gets eroded, right? That we just say more things are not bad anymore. And sometimes that happens really fast, right? All of a sudden, 
it's bad to think, you know, a male is a man necessarily. And, and you're really bigoted and wrong to think otherwise you're transphobic or something like that. And so this is what happened in the, in the 20th century, you know, existentialism. If there is no meaning, we just try to make it, make it, fake it till you make it maybe, um, or just radical deconstructive ideas, either looking for what's behind these claims of truth or morality or power to expose things, right? And that kind of criticism of the tearing down, I think, uh, comes with uh, our culture today. Um, So what is left without God? Are the failures or after the failures of modernism or grounding objective morality? Because look, the modernists, the enlightened people, they wanted objective morality. They just didn't want it from God. They wanted to ground it in reason or themselves. What are we left with? And I think this is kind of the state of our uh, culture today. And uh, some of this, you know, I even like just taught in public school because I know from my children, right, that they come home saying, hey, what you do, we're doing a unit on the first thing, cultural relativism. Right. Uh, Right and wrong depends on who you ask or what culture they are. Some cultures think this. Some other cultures think that. Mind you, it's very hard to say what are the borders, where are the borderlands between cultures. Right. Um, And so if you're interested in cultural relativism, we did an episode. Episode 26 was called How Wrongeth You Are. That was all about uh, cultural relativism that Kayla, my oldest, when she was in, I think, 11th grade in her AP American history class, they were teaching cultural relativism. That Hey, these people think that and think these people think this. But that idea is unsustainable, right? Because obviously... Our, our current culture is really good at condemning old, other cultures, particularly the culture of our own past. Our right? past, yeah. yeah. We want to look back and say, oh, look at these evil people. And now we're the enlightened good people. Look at all the wrong that's been done. We've arrived in ourselves, not let alone what people will say about this culture in 100 years. And so let alone how do you judge a culture if there's no standard uh, to judge it by? Later in this series, we'll talk about C.S. Lewis's argument about morality. How do you call something crooked unless you have something that's straight? That's a good question. Morality, even in ideas like cultural relativism, emerge again because when you start judging other cultures, um, even though, well, we shouldn't judge anybody, People are doing it all the time. It's very easy to do in history rather than judging your neighbors. But now we're we're full out judging our neighbors. Why? So for, what's left without God? Cultural relativism. And then secondly, tribalism. Different versions or views of morality that are not shared, right, amongst people. Now, again, this is a quote from Murray's book in his introduction. I think it's quite prescient. I think it's very clear. Uh, I'm going to read a little bit of this introduction at length so that I think we look at what we face today. Like if you were to go out on social media today, no, Jesse, I know you won't do that. You're on sabbatical, going to play golf and rest. And social I wasn't media. on social media. That's anyway, right. Man. You've already made good changes in your life. But if you go on in, into the Twitter beefs of the day, Uh, you're going to find some of this. And so Murray's introduction says this, we are going through a great crowd derangement in public and private, both online and offline. People are behaving in ways that are increasingly irrational, feverish, herd-like, and simply unpleasant. The daily news cycle is filled with the consequences, maybe the comeuppance. Yet while we see the symptoms everywhere, we do not see the causes. 
People in wealthy Western democracies today could not simply remain the first people in recorded history to have absolutely no explanation for what we are doing here and no story to give life purpose. Whatever else they lacked, the grand narratives of the past at least gave life meaning. The question of what exactly we're meant to do now, what is the purpose, right? Other than get rich and have whatever fun is on offer was going to have to be answered by something. This is the whole idea that there's a vacuum, Jesse. What fills it? Now, if morality itself is questioned, whether this is real, remember, objective, moral ontology, the existence of good, and moral epistemology, how do we learn what is good? Those are two different questions. Moral ontology, the existence of the good has been questioned, thrown in the dumpster bin along with the idea of God. Now, we don't believe that. But when you do that, You leave a big vacuum. And people are not able to, because we're created by God, to live that way. We create new religions. So he continues, the answer that has presented itself in recent years is to engage in new battles, ever fiercer campaigns, ever more niche demands. Defined by uh, We define meaning by waging a constant war against anybody who seems to be on the wrong side of a question, now get this, which may itself just been reframed in the answer to which has only been recently altered. All of a sudden, you're on the wrong side of history. What history? Well, what some academics at a liberal arts college decided 10 years ago. The unbelievable speed of this process has principally been caused by the fact that a handful of businesses in Silicon Valley, notably Google, Twitter, Facebook, now have the power not just to direct what most of the world know, think, and say, but they have a business model which has been accurately described as relying on, quote, finding customers ready to pay to modify someone else's behavior. See, that's really interesting to me because... uh Reading this quote along with you, it, it reminded me of um, uh, Alistair McIntyre's After Virtue, which, uh, in which he says, before we can figure out what we need to do, before we know what to do, we need to know which story we're a part of. That's right. uh, in other words, we need to know the narrative. We, we, we really need to know, how do we fit? Where do I fit? What, what's my role? What, what's happening around me? Who's in charge? All those sorts of things. And in post-modernity, we've, we've basically decided, well, I get to decide, right? I write my own story. Yeah, the individual but, even. But actually yeah. what Murray's saying here is, <laughs> actually maybe it's, maybe it's Silicon Valley that's the one writing the story. Well, maybe and there's we lots think, of people who that's are right. attempting and we to think write it's, stories. We think it's our story, yeah. but really what's happening is uh, we're, we're drinking the water. We're swimming in the water that's being, being shaped by... Uh, you know, the technocrats. And Maybe Silicon we need to Valley. see through the power to what people are mm. doing. Yeah, it's a, it's a massive, massive issue. But, but what he's getting at, and Jesse, here's the difference. Look, this is happening. We know it is, right? Uh, people who are in you know, news bubbles and they're on algorithmically curated news feeds, uh, their, their outrage is conditioned. Their outrage is very similar to their own friends, ideolo- ideological homes, right? Um, people aren't talking to each other for real. They're just seeing stuff, reacting, blowing each other up. And then like the purpose itself is the war, right? War against whatever, the patriarchy or whatever it is, right? Um, We have to tear it all down. 
We have to, we have to, and that's, that becomes the new purpose, right? So, so here we have cultural and moral relativism in its simplistic forms, like whatever's true for you is true for you, right? In its sophisticated forms, like whatever is true for this culture and there's whatever that means, right? This relativism has turned now to tribalism, worldviews that are designed to tear down and fight and demonize the enemy. Uh, Look, we, we, we now have a cultural moment where it's not only okay to demonize your whoever your opponents are, it's almost expected. It's almost the way to win. You have to demonize them, and you have to rip them to shreds. Is that good? Well, there is no good. <laughs> is it helpful to me to get what I want? This is where we're living, Jesse. This cultural, mortal, relativistic culture that's been uh, factionalized into warring uh, communities, is being fueled by, and this is what I'm adding to the the fray, new self-righteous religion. Um, New self-righteous religions. We did do a podcast on this a while back as well. Give me that whole new style secularized religion. So what are some of the religions we're seeing, Jesse? Well, certainly neo-nationalisms. You could even say certain views of uh, big leader, own the people, politics. You know, racially motivated nationalisms, perhaps, um, and then uh, what I call neo-racism—the um, uh, fracturing of people once again on purpose by all of us into racially or immutable trait tribes, where everyone who's of a certain group it has these massive assumptions made about them, rather than seeing them as persons, right, and looking at people's character or their actual actions. Uh, We just see people uh, as blobs of folk that are worthy of our disdain and deconstruction and tearing down um, simply due to... Now, race obviously has a long history in America. Evil. um, Where do you judge that from? Hopefully, objective morality. Uh, why, Why do you believe people are equal. Well, hopefully creating the image of God, right? Image of God theology needs to be brought back heavily, right, for the church, because if you have racist nationalists uh, or uh, neo-racist people who want to divide everyone uh, and not see unity in the image of God, this is a massive theological problem. But we have a place, and and this is why racist Christian history in America is so disgusting and gross and needs to be called what it is because it's a contradiction to their to what should be their belief system, but it wasn't because obviously other things were more important. But if we're going to come from a place where there is no image of God in humanity, there is no human nature even, there is no good objectively outside of what, you know, cultures think or what their goals are, we are we are forever going to be lost in this warfare where we cannot now so how does this idea of hey let's be nice <laughs> navigate our social worlds let's achieve the social goals how will that remain peaceable um it seems like there is really no chance of that taking place unless blessed are the peacemakers for they shall be called children of god um those who believe in good and justice um, should act good and justly in their fights for it. Um, that's our goal, and to build something together in our time, right, uh, that allows flourishing for human beings. 
And we're going to stand, Jesse, where we stand in the cultural moment uh, in terms of what are human beings and what are men and women and these kinds of ideas. So uh, this old be nice, let's try to just get along and navigate social goals is kind of uh, getting threatened today. Yeah, yeah. Um, I do think I think you're right about that, and and and, um, and the idea of the comeuppance, uh, the the you know this this uh, postmodern existential deconstructive um, is it, worldview ideology is it is a snake eating its own tail. It's right. it, it's unsustainable. That's right. And I've been thinking a lot about this pastorally and and, and with the Bonhoeffer House as far as uh, preparing. Families. You were thinking about that before your sabbatical. Before my sabbatical. That's right. That's right. Yeah. (laughs) That's right. Yeah. So I've been thinking about much of my sabbatical. Just (laughs) messing with you. Yeah. Uh, Because um, it's you can't predict the future. It's hard to know what's. This is unsustainable. What will be the? What will come next? What will come next? Yeah. Uh, And 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 of course we have we have some great. uh, tools. We have some great, uh, like we get to fall back on the multicultural, transcultural, right. uh, transhistoric vision. Uh, vision of of the the, the church, the kingdom the of God, that is every tribe, tongue, and, and nation that is going to be every generation. That's, That's right. You know, we who get, has an actual common humanity vested with dignity because of its creation and our Creator. That's right. And so, and so really preparing men to pastor churches that, that understand, that receive the vision of their identity as a kingdom outpost, as a, as a multi-generational, multi-ethnic, multi-cultural representation of the kingdom where Jesus is king and they, 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 you know, bend the knee in allegiance to King Jesus is I mean, this is a vision That's for right. whatever right. whatever our culture moment is. The other thing I'm thinking a lot about in response to this, and maybe we could pick up in the future, is um, is the idea of localism, of yeah. um, you know, neo nationalism and neo racism, uh, so, somewhat fall fall behind when I'm when I'm actually just with people in my in my That's neighborhood right. when we're That's having right. block parties when we're you know working towards uh, you know serving on um, local governmental boards or, you know, anyway, so, so like kind of incarnational life, uh, with other human beings. That's right. Is, is a, is a gift. And I, I even think in light of pandemic, right. The, the ability of technological tools to bring us close, right. Some, some, you know, obviously there's zoom fatigue and all that stuff, but it was kind of nice to be able to see some people, um, in the midst of our separation, but also this longing it created for real people connection. Like I, I mean, Jesse and I'll out ourselves here for a second. I love it when Jesse comes to the shed quarters, the podcast, cause we talk for an hour and a half just about life and how we're doing and family and lit- ministry and leadership and just be brothers. And then we're like, Oh man, we got to record the podcast. <laughs> right. Um, look, there are forces, uh, around us, um, that we do not, we, we are objectors to, we stand. I was talking to my friend Leon Crump not too long ago about a project we were trying to work on together, and and realizing there are forces all about us that want us to give up certain convictions about uh, life, the universe, justice, God, goodness, and it's not simply on one political spectrum or another. That there is a distinct reality that as those who submit to Jesus as Lord, we have a different playbook, we have a different reality, a different identity, and this is very important. 
this whole merger of nationalism with Christianity has, has never been the vision of, of, the, of the biblical witness and of Jesus Christ. Uh, transcultural, transnational, transpeople unity under his kingship was, is, was and is. Um, and so that adjustment is necessary. But look, these things, right, uh, culturally, we are downstream from history. It's very important. This quote uh, by a Roman Catholic cardinal named Robert Sarah, he's a uh, Western African, uh, and I believe he's in the country of Guinea. I saw this quote on, uh, on Twitter, Jesse. <laughs> uh, he said, the man who ignores God and turns his own instincts, his own feelings, into godlike standards for all things is headed for destruction. So, Jesse, are we confined to destroying one another as we tear it all down? Or uh, should we be concerned about the comeuppance and calling to accounts of the failures of a, a, of a godless, empty morality? Should we, should we despair? Well, I do. <laughs> but no, no, uh, no, because um, we of all should have hope, right? We... we you know, we aren't, uh, we are citizens of an imperishable, unshakable kingdom. When everything else shakes out, yeah. uh, God and his kingdom, God's, we, we receive it. We don't That's build right. it. Uh, right. God, and God has, has given it to us in Christ. Those who, those who uh, bend the knee in allegiance and, and trust Christ by faith as king, uh, we have an unshakable inheritance. And we have a different script. And we yeah. have a different script. We have, a, we yeah. have the, the, the story, as it were, that, that is God's story is one of love and justice. It's one where human beings, no matter what they look like, are valued. And uh, we, have the, we have the Spirit of God that allows us to flow in ways that represent the kingdom, even against the gr- grain or against the flow um, that uh, is around us. I think it was Chesterton that says, uh, dead things, uh, only living things can swim against the against yeah. the current right yeah. and so so for us we don't have to just flow yeah. along with the current around us that's we can right. actually swim because we're alive that's right and we are human beings capable of great good and heinous evil yeah uh, jesus was honest about that that's why he died we we do not we fall short of the glory of god we do not align what we do uh, with uh, the purposes of God, the 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 real truth uh, and goodness that comes from God Himself and His good and true laws, right? We don't align to them. So repentance, turning from sin and self, faith, trusting Him to change us and make us different, is the path. And so we do not despair, right? Despairing is not the language, even if people want to fight around us. This is uh, not unusual in world history. Um, We have to stand in a different place. We're not taking sides. We submit to God in his purposes. And so with great joy, uh, Jesse, let me close our podcast with a few portions of some beautiful truth. For our sake, he was crucified under Pontius Pilate. He suffered death and was buried. On the third day, he rose again with accordance of the scriptures. He ascended to heaven is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again to judge the living and the dead, and his kingdom will have no end. So we look forward to the resurrection of the dead and the life and the world to come, which will be truly good, Jesse. And so to that, amen. we simply say amen and amen. Thanks for joining us today, guys. The Gospel Underground Podcast. 
is produced in partnership with the Bonhoeffer House. Review us on iTunes. Give us five-star reviews. We accept those joyfully. Write a few sentences. Please do that for us. Send your comments, feedbacks, questions that you might want us to take up here on the underground to info at gospelunderground.org. We are a dialogue, Jesse. Taking place in the borderlands between them relativisms and tribalisms and warring factions and neo-nationalisms. In the borderlands between the church and culture. And we hope to see you serving faithfully, courageously, humbly there. Peace. Peace.